This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Fifty years ago, the world was introduced to the phenomenon that was Star Trek. Popular culture was changed forever, and eventually it became six television series and 13 motion pictures. People from all walks of life have been affected by it. Their lives have been affected by the lessons and the philosophies that they took away from it. This is the story of those fans. Interviews with individuals who love Star Trek and believe that their lives are better because of it. This is their prime direction. Hey everybody and welcome to The Prime Direction, the story of Star Trek's fans. My name is Sean Ray and I'm sure to many of you listening, my guest tonight would not need much of an introduction. He's a well-known actor, voice actor and musician whose credits include animated classics such as Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon, video games such as the Full Metal Alchemist series, and Star Trek fans know him as the executive producer of Star Trek Continues a fan-made continuation of the original five-year mission of the Enterprise, where he also portrays Captain James T. Kirk. And, of course, I'm talking about Mr. Vic Mignona. Vic, how are you this evening? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me, bro. Thank you. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Uh, most of the time on this show, I, I talk to everyday fans of Star Trek. Uh, none of them that I've talked to so far have taken their fandom to the level that you have. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I'm going to ask you a lot of the same questions that I ask everybody, but I'm also going to throw in some questions about uh, Star Trek Continues and kind of cater the, the interview to that as well. So Absolutely. Happy, happy to answer any questions you have. Well, first of all, where are you from originally? Um, I am originally from uh, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. I, um, yeah, I, uh, I grew up in <laughs> western Pennsylvania. And then I went to school all up and down the eastern side of the country before moving to Houston, Texas, where I lived for 20 years. Um, and then I and now I currently, for the last five years or so, live in Los Angeles. Was your family in the military while you moved around so much when you were a kid? <laughs> no, no, although you would think they were. Um, no, I just... Um, I don't even know. I can't even fully explain why. Um, <laughs> my uncles, my uncles all went to uh, all went to um, school out of town. They all went away to boarding school, and so I, I kind of really wanted to do that myself. I thought it would be fun, and so um, oh, okay. So I went away to a boarding school and high school, and then college. And you know, once once I left home at about fourteen, I just kind of. I would go back for vacations or to visit, but I I never lived there again. So oh okay yeah. Well, as far as your fandom, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek? Oh, dude. Well, I mean, <laughs> when I was nine years old, I remember my parents had just divorced, and my mom and I moved into a little apartment together, and uh, and I discovered this TV show on on television that. We had a little black and white 19-inch television. Oh, yeah. And I uh, 
I discovered this show that had these wonderful characters and these imaginative stories. And there was this guy that was the captain who loved his crew and protected his friends. And he was brave and handsome and he was a, a great leader. And um, Captain Kirk very much became kind of a father figure to me. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, so I fell in love with the show and I obsessed over it for many, many years, probably nine through 17, nine through 16. And, uh, and then even though it kind of went dormant in my life, the love of it and the, the appreciation for it was always there. And then several years ago, maybe six or seven, six years ago, um, I was asked to help a fan production, a Star Trek fan production, and I did, and it kind of reignited my love of Star Trek, and mm -hmm. I decided that, you know, I'd spent my whole life developing skills in, uh, in filmmaking and acting and sets and props and all of that kind of stuff, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to really make a Star Trek production that continues the original series in every way, not just a bunch of fans, you know, putting on uniforms, but like really tell the kind of stories that the original series told and have the kind of production value where the lighting and the sound and the, the costumes and the makeup and the editing and the music and everything was as close to a continuation of the original series as possible. And so that's when I decided to start Star Trek Continues. Did you have a lot of uh, Star Trek toys growing up? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. Oh, yeah. I had the cheapo blue plastic communicator walkie-talkies. I had the exploration kit of the tricorder phaser and communicator that were like one-third scale. They looked like little baby toys. Right, yeah. I, I had every model I would buy. I would buy multiple Enterprise models, and then I would try to I, and then I would try to make them different ships in the fleet. Oh, okay. Like I bought an Enterprise. I had an Enterprise model, and then I, brought a, I bought another Enterprise model, and I bashed it all up and called <laughs> it the Constellation. Yeah. And uh, then I had one I painted it green and called it the painted it with glow in the dark paint and called it the defiant and uh yeah dude i was absolutely obsessed i i like to tell people my i drove my mother insane <laughs> my mother used to call it she used to call it star trash <laughs> because i made her so crazy with it i got her to teach me to use a sewing machine so that i could make my own uniforms because she got tired of making my uniforms and uh I went to Star Trek conventions. I rounded kids in the neighborhood up and shot Star Trek home movies. I built little cardboard sets out in the woods behind my apartment building. Um, you name it. Yeah. You name it. Um, did, did you did you feel it all? You know, a lot of times as, uh, as fans of any kind of science fiction TV show, particularly Star Trek, a lot of us experienced a bit of separation from the rest of our peers because of it. You know, some of us were bullied and made fun of for, for what we what we loved. Did you ever feel like your fandom was something that you had to hide from certain people? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, um, I, uh, 
I remember going to school and wanting so much to tell kids about Star Trek and to talk about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it wasn't going to be welcome. So I'll never forget it, Sean. I had a navy blue windbreaker, and I wanted so much to sew the Enterprise emblem on the windbreaker, on the chest of the windbreaker. And my mother said, you better not do that. Yeah. You know, you don't want to ruin that. What if kids, you know, make fun of you for being a nerd and stuff? So you know what I did? What's that? I sewed the patch on the inside of the windbreaker. And then I would I would talk to kids and I would gauge their interest. And if they turned out to be Star Trek fans, I would flip open my my coat like I was carrying drugs and (laughs) flash it like a badge or something, yeah. And flash the flash the, the enterprise emblem inside my jacket to let them know that I was one of them. <laughs> well, after the uh after the original series ended in 1969, that first movie didn't come out for 10 years. That's correct. So, what happened for you in the meantime? Did you get into books, comics? Well, no, I got into Star Wars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, right after, I'll be honest with you, bro, you know it came on television Shortly after Star Trek was gone, what's that? Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's right. Was a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, and uh, and got very much into Battlestar Galactica as well. And then by that, that took me up to Star Wars. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I I I think Star Trek was my baptism into sci-fi, and I have loved it ever since. Mm-hmm. But there's only one. TOS and right. has always and will always hold the dearest place in my heart. How did you feel about the first movie? You know, you know, I wanted to like it. <laughs> I was so excited that Kirk and Spock and McCoy, you know, and everybody was going to be back on the screen. But I, I think, I think they fell into the trap of being enamored with the feature film uh, element of it. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, oh my gosh, to see the Enterprise on the big screen, let's make the most of it. Let's have a 10-minute, you know, montage where a sequence where they're flying around the ship just right. looking at it. And yeah. of course, everybody loved it, but it was like, okay, we get it. And then and then they go inside V'ger. And it's like 15 minutes of just drifting through V'ger and all of these different, you know, chasms and and uh, and sections. And and I was thinking, oh, my God, this is slow. I mean, can we please, you know, get on with the story? Yeah. Now, I will tell you this. I like the motion picture a lot more now than I did back then. Back then, I think I was I had very high expectations of what they were going to do. And when it didn't meet up to my expectations, which to be fair, it probably couldn't have possibly met up to my, to anyone's expectations. Um, I, I think that I like it a lot better now. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was okay. I mean, it, it, you know, certainly wrath of Khan is arguably the greatest star Trek movie ever made. Yeah. I was going to ask you what you felt about the other movies. Oh yeah. They totally made it. Well, um, one of the stories that I've heard about the about the first movie is that they wanted to do a lot more editing, 
but the studio wouldn't give them more time. They wanted to extend the deadline. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that they probably would have edited out if they'd, uh, if they'd had the chance. But yeah, Maybe so. But if you think about it, if you think about the story, mm-hmm. John, think about the story. An Earth probe goes out into space and develops these enormous powers, right? Mm-hmm. And is going to wipe out, uh, you know, humanity because, you know, whatever. He's, uh, there's, there's nothing left to learn. Well, it sounds a lot like Nomad from the original series. There was an episode right. called The Changeling where an old Earth probe had collided with an alien probe and gotten its programming mixed up. And it became super powerful, and it just there was a lot of it that reminded me yeah. of of the changeling. And I thought, well, dang it, you know, I mean, we've waited <laughs> all this time, and why isn't this an original story idea? Yeah. But again, having said that, I loved the motion picture, and um, and I, you know, I don't think I don't think it would have been possible to have met the expect the high expectations and anticipation of Star Trek fans in 1970. When was that? 78? 79. Yeah. 79. Uh, what about, how do you feel about uh, the next generation? How did you feel when you heard that that story, that that series was coming? Well, in the same way, I, I wanted to like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I gave it every opportunity, but to be fair, it just wasn't my thing. You know, mm-hmm. it just, it was very indicative of the time. Right. It was the 80s, and everybody was, let's talk about our feelings. Let's, <laughs> let's, 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 have, let's have a counselor, and let's, let's have, instead of an action-oriented uh, captain, go-getter captain, let's have this you know, thin, bald old guy <laughs> who is much more of a diplomat, of a talker, than a doer. And uh, it was very indicative of the period. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, I love Next Gen. And I love the actors in Next Gen. I mean, I'm, I'm very dear friends with several of the Next Gen actors. But they know very well that TOS was my jam. Right. And, you know, people that were born uh, in the 70s and grew up in the 80s are big fans of Next Generation. That was their jam. My fiance Michelle is a huge T- uh, Next Generation fan, T- TNG fan, and you know, live and let live. You know, I'm 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 fine with that. I think that people fall in love with whatever Star Trek is on when they grew up. Did the Next Generation have any um, bearing on your decision to put a, a counselor on the uh, on your show? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Michelle and I were talking about before we ever before we ever shot an episode or wrote a script and I was kicking around the idea of doing a series a fan led fan funded passion project series for for nothing but love of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I I 
I was talking to Michelle and I said, okay, now you're a really great actress. What role should we have you play? And of course, we talked about um, Chapel. We talked about Nurse Chapel. We talked about um, Yeoman Rand. Yeah. And then, as we were talking about it, I remember thinking, you know, we're wanting to bridge the gap. We're wanting to kind of move in the direction of where we know Star Trek is going in the next generation. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start incorporating some things that were commonplace in Next Generation into our series? And one of them was the experimental holodeck yeah. you see in our episodes. And one of them is... Um, is a, an experimental ship's counselor. It was a it was an experimental program. It was a pilot program, and Doctor McKenna is, you know, is the guinea pig. Right. To see whether or not this program will work, and if it's a, a valuable, you know, program for the starships. Mm -hmm. So we also made some adjustments to our phasers. Um, little things here and there that we've been trying to work in, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I love about uh, Star Trek Continues is the amount of detail that you guys put into the sets. You know, the bridge of the Enterprise looks exactly like it does on Star Trek, and you even do the same angles that we get on the original series. How much yeah. time and effort did it take for you to get the set so screen accurate? It took a lot of work. Yeah. Of course. It took a lot of work and a lot of looking at screen captures and analyzing and studying screen captures. But even after you build the set properly, mm -hmm. even after you build it right, you have to know how to light it right. Right. It's not enough to just build the set because if you don't light it properly, it doesn't look right. And then you have to know how to choose your camera angles. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know how to do that, it doesn't look right. So there's a lot more to making Star Trek than building a set. Mm -hmm. And and I will say that we, myself, and dozens of other people have worked very, very hard on the sets for one purpose and one purpose alone. So that they are so accurate and so authentic that the audience immediately accepts them as the original series Enterprise and then forgets about them. Yeah. Because if you if something's not right, Star Trek fans aren't going to let it go. And they're not going to enjoy the story because they just can't get their mind off the fact that the set's not right. right. So the reason you make it perfect is so that it can then fade into the background and be forgotten, and then and then the audience uh, gives you permission to tell them a good story. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the special effects in the '60s were not terribly technical. You know, it, it's something that is probably easily replicated or even surpassed with things that we have today that everyone pretty much has today. But you guys 
seem like you're trying to make your show as similar to the original series as you can. Is it difficult for you to keep yourself reined back when you know you could easily put something on the screen that could couldn't have even be dreamed of uh, 50 years ago? Well, you know what? <clears throat> we use today's technology to simulate yesterday's technology. Right. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. Back in the 60s, the Enterprise was a 12-foot model. Mm-hmm. It was physically built, and it was physically on a soundstage, and they took a camera, and they moved the camera past the ca- past the ship with a blue screen background, and that's how they made the ship flybys. Mm-hmm. Well, our ship is a CGI Enterprise, but it is designed and lit and textured and finished in every conceivable way to look like a model. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to look like CGI. We don't want it to look like J.J. Abrams, you know, high-quality theatrical blockbuster. Right. We want people to believe and immediately accept that they're watching a continuation of the original series. Had it not been canceled in 1969, what would it look like? Well, it would probably look very much the same. And maybe if they little by little developed some techniques, some camera techniques, or some some new effect techniques, maybe those would work their way in. But there wouldn't be a dramatic shift. And if we did that with the effects, it wouldn't feel like TOS. Right. And every decision I have made has been for the purpose of making people feel like they're watching the continuation of the series that never happened. Mm-hmm. How long does it usually take you to complete an episode? Well, obviously it takes several months of, of pre-production planning. Uh-huh. You know, coming up with the story, uh, locking down the story, then having a screenplay written, then multiple versions of the screenplay to get it where you want it, then casting, and excuse me, and uh, having costumes made, either designed or and made, um, and then we come together and we shoot an episode in roughly nine or ten days. Sometimes we've shot an episode in as little as seven days, which is incredibly impressive, consider, considering that the original series shot episodes in seven days. Right, yeah. And they had a complete studio team with a full crew and cast. Uh, so um, we shoot episodes in eight to ten days, and then um, one of the most time-consuming parts of it is is all the post-production. Yeah. Um, it, ta- it only takes me a few weeks to edit an episode, but the editing is just, just the smallest portion. There are all of the effect shots, and they have to be built and rendered out, and then I'll make changes to them, and then they'll be rendered out again, and then they need to be dropped in the timeline, and then... Uh, the music and sound design needs to be done and the sound has to be mixed and then the sound and the picture have to be merged 
and then we have to color grade the picture mm-hmm. and put all of the finishing adjustments on the picture to give it that vibrant Star Trek color. And, uh, and then ultimately, one of the last things we do is we put film grain on, uh, on our episodes and, they, and then we crop them to four by three aspect ratio so that they look as much like the original series as possible. Mm-hmm. What we shoot is actually more detailed and higher resolution than what they shot back then. Oh, yeah. But we don't want it. We want it to look like theirs. Right. So we purposefully degradate the image a little bit. Yeah. And also, people that were watching the show back then were usually watching them on fuzzy 19-inch black and white TVs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the people that made Star Trek back then never had any clue that people would one day would get to watch what they did on Blu-ray. Right. You know, 4K <laughs> televisions and, <laughs> and just pick every pixel apart. Tell me how uh, Chris Dewan came to be part of the show. I love Chris Dewan. What a great guy. Um, I, uh, I met him on Facebook. I was casting my series and, uh, I had already asked some of my actor friends, Todd Haverkorn, Chuck Huber, Kim Stinger, if they would be a part of the production. And, uh, I wrote Chris a note and I said, Hey dude, uh, can we have lunch? And he wrote back, sure. <laughs> so we met for lunch and I said, um, I'm doing this thing, and I'd like you to play Scotty. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I mean, I'm really flattered. I'm honored. And he said, it looks like what you're doing is going to be really high quality. But uh, I'm really, you know, I haven't done a lot of acting. And I said, well, Chris, you're Jimmy Dewan's son. Yeah. I kind of feel like it's in your blood. And if you're willing to step in front of the camera. If you're willing to learn your lines and step in front of the camera, I think you be great at this. And he did and he is. Yeah. And uh we just love him to death and it's really neat. He uh he was really overwhelmed with emotion when he stepped out onto the bridge for the very first time in the same uniform his dad wore. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a very emotional moment and he has told us several times that, uh, his family really, really loves that. He's a part of this. That's great. Uh, you, you've had some other, a lot of, uh, special guests on the show. Tell me about Marina, uh, Sirtis and uh, Michael Dorn being the computer voices on the show. <laughs> not even not even stepping in front of the camera. How did that come about? Well, I've done a lot of because of my voice acting career. Um, I've I've built up a pretty good size fan base as a voice actor. So I get in, I get invited to a lot of conventions to sign to sign autographs. Mm-hmm. And because I've done a lot of conventions, I've. Uh, run across and actually become friends with Marina and Michael and LeVar and Jonathan Frakes and and uh, John DeLancey and, and Brent. And um, when I was putting the series together, we had shot our episode 
and I was editing the episode and I thought, oh, dang, I need somebody to be the voice of the computer. And of course, as you may or may not remember, it was Magil Barrett. Oh, yeah. Who Gene's wife, Gene Roddenberry's wife, Nurse Chapel, who was the voice of the computer. And so I thought, well, okay, do I, do I find somebody that sounds like her? And then I thought, wait a minute. What if I were to ask Marina? And so I went up to Marina and I said, Marina, I want you to be in my Star Trek production. And she said, no. <laughs> no, Vic. I'm not going to put on that stupid leotard again. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I want you to be the voice of our computer, the ship's computer. And she goes, oh, yes. Okay. And it was that easy. And so I went over to her house with my laptop and I set a microphone in front of her and had her record the computer lines. And then when it came time to do the mirror episode, I thought, okay, who's going to be the voice of the computer? I'm like, well, that's a no brainer, <laughs> Michael Dorn. And, and Michael and I are good buddies. We played racquetball together and have dinner together. And I just love him to death. And so I went over to his house and sat at his dining room table and recorded those lines. So it's been a real privilege to have them be a part of it. Can you tell us anything about episode eight and what's going to come after that? Um, not at present. Okay. <laughs> we we kind of, we've kind of promised ourselves that we're going to lay low and we're just going to complete the task. As you know very well, there's a lot of noise out there right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of conjecture and a lot of rumor and a lot of, uh, supposition and theorizing, but you know we already raised the money necessary to finish our series. Okay. Um, we never intended to do it forever. We'd always intended to to do a, a limited number of episodes, one more TV season, and our long term goal was to actually create a series finale to the original series of Star Trek that would leave all of the characters where they were when the motion picture picked them up. Okay. And so that is our goal. We are uh, the only official government-approved 501c3 nonprofit production out there. And the money has been raised, the scripts have been written, and uh, quite honestly, I'm... Quite honestly, I'm uh, I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to finish it. Yeah, I hope so because I'm enjoying what you've done so far. Well, thank you, my friend, and I, you know, I'm so gratified. And you know, we made this for love of Star Trek, no other reason. There are some people out there that tried to make stuff for their own fame, and there are people out there that have tried to make stuff to pocket money, right? To pr profit personally. And that was never, ever, ever behind Star Trek Continues. It was a pure, untainted labor of love. It was a passion project to pay tribute to the original series of Star Trek. And I'm very proud to tell you that we have done exactly what we said we would do without hesitation or delay or question or dishonesty we're asking for more money to do something we said we would do for a certain amount. We've done everything we ever promised in the time we promised. 
and I feel like we've delivered quality work to people, and and I think we've we've paid a very respectable homage to Star Trek, and uh, and I'm very proud of my team. The people that I've assembled uh, as part of this series are just the most wonderful people who all do it purely for love of of Star Trek. Are you excited for uh, Star Trek Discovery? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a long time since there's been any Star Trek on television. Yeah. I, uh, I'm very, once again, I'm very hopeful and optimistic that, uh, that it's going to come out of the gate just, you know, really strong and powerful. And um, I wish it absolutely the best, and it will certainly have my support. This is a question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. But as Star Trek fans, we're constantly exposed to little tidbits of philosophy and life lessons and things of that nature. So what do you feel that Star Trek did for you that you feel makes your life better? I would have to say, I think the thing about Star Trek that I that resonated with me the most when I was a little boy was how everybody got along and supported each other and protected each other and stood up for each other. And I mean, I don't even know, I'm an only child and I I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really have any, I never had any siblings. And I, I, I was a bit of a loner when I was a kid. So I think that one of the things that really resonated with me about Star Trek was all these people locked in this ship together. And instead of, being at each other's throats, they love each other and they help each other and they figure out problems together and they support each other and they make each other's lives better. Um, and, and that is something that I wanted with all my heart to preserve in our episodes. I wanted to be able to tell the same kind of stories. You know, I wanted to be able to inspire other people around the world the same way the original series inspired me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you said that you've already raised all the money that you need for the series, so you're not accepting any more donations? We are not going to be launching any more crowdfunding campaigns. Okay. Um, you know, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I want to help you finish this, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> Get away from me. Away, evil spirit. No, I'm going to – we would be grateful for any help anyone wants to give, but we are not soliciting um, funds, and and we're not going to be launching any more crowdfunders. Okay. Where, where can people find you? Well, they can find they can find our production at StarTrekContinues.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our episodes are available to watch for free there. And uh, we don't sell anything. Like I said, it's pure labor of love. And for me personally, um, you can go to my website. You can go to my website and see. Um, and see, uh, my website is a fan club website. is called Rizimbul Rangers. It's www. r i s e m b o o l rangers. dot com and uh, that's my my fan club website and on there you will see a uh, my convention schedule I do a lot of event appearances around the country and even internationally so 
I would encourage your listeners to come out and say hello. Um, tell me you, you heard the interview on Prime Direction, and uh, I would love to meet you if possible. Okay. And like you said, all the episodes are on uh, StarTrekContinues.com, and they're all on YouTube, right? They're all on YouTube as yeah, well, right? YouTube, and then if you go to StarTrekContinues.com, you click on Episodes, uh, it has the poster for each episode there, and uh, and it, it is a direct link to the episode on Vimeo. Okay. Uh, Vimeo is like YouTube, only it's just like a little higher quality. Yeah. And I can't, uh, listeners, I can't recommend the show enough. If you were ever a fan of uh, the original series, then I think you'll get a wonderful sense of nostalgia from watching it, not to mention how great the writing and the acting and the storytelling is. So so go in the, and check that out. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for that. And Vic, thank you very much for coming on The Prime Direction. It was a true pleasure talking to you tonight. My pleasure. I'll hope. Now, where are you based? I am in Birmingham, Alabama, oh, as you can goodness. tell by the way I talk. <laughs> I love it. My uncle lives in Huntsville. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm very yeah. familiar with that part of the country. Yeah, it's about an hour and a half from here. So. I love it. I love it. Well, I will hope to see you someday in person, and uh, thanks for letting me join you. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. The Prime Direction is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and, of course, on our website at CosmicPotato.com. Please be sure to leave us a review wherever you find the show. That will go a long way toward helping other people find the podcast. Every fan has a story. If you would like to come on the show and tell me the story of your Star Trek fandom, send me an email at mail at CosmicPotato.com. Remember, there are a lot of people that want to be on the show, so please be patient, and I'll write back to you as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to look for more episodes as I continue to bring you more stories of Star Trek fans and their prime direction. <laughs>